Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Welcome to the Heater Podcast. This is Dan Lewig. He's Corey Peeper, and we are set to bring you uh, an exciting recap on uh, Major League Baseball from uh, trade deadline winners and losers to uh, a whole stable of pitchers throwing 98 miles an hour uh, to uh, looking back on some uh, hot takes that are hot and ice cold uh, season predictions for what we are looking at for the upcoming season. All that and more uh, coming up in the Heater Podcast, which is always brought to you by uh, River Creek Popcorn. For all of your snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice, come hungry, leave happy. How you doing, Corey? I couldn't be better right now. Just enjoying life around here and still enjoying social distancing, trying to find a way to keep busy. How about yourself? How was week one away vacation? It, uh, eventful and not... Uh, not the good way? Well... Colorfully, I suppose is the way that I put that. That's a good way to put what your week uh, was like, from what I heard. uh, There's uh, some. uh, We've had some colorful weeks together here. You had a colorful (laughs) last week, and mine was two weeks ago, right? We've had some interesting weeks off the podcast. I'm ready for fall colors. I don't know about colorful weeks, but uh, it keeps things uh, keeps you on your toes always. Uh, And uh, uh, it's been it was a colorful week in Major League Baseball. Uh, as well in all sorts of different ways, but uh, let's uh, dive into first injuries. Uh, I I'm thankful that this has been less. Yeah. The first the first three to four weeks of the season, it was the walking wounded. It was it a was. huge list. It was. It's it's getting better, and some of them are coming back. So let's just plow through some of these guys that came back this week. Your we're gonna mention him later on in your AL MVP pick. Josh Donaldson is back. He returned on Wednesday. I did not see how he's been playing, but I'm assuming he did okay. Uh, Byron Buxton. Also back for the Twins the day before that from shoulder. Did you see any Twins games this week? I just know they've won five straight. Uh, and so they're probably they're, doing pretty they're well. starting to uh, – the, the uh, guys back are very welcomed. Other guys that came back this week, Chris Bryant got back from the finger injury. He was frigidly cold with the Cubs. And once again, I did not check with how Chris Bryant's played, but I know he's back. Charlie Morton got off the IL for your raise. Colin Moran got off the IL. Any of those three? Uh, Nick Anderson also mm-hmm. for the for the Rays. Ryan Yarbrough comes back this week, so they are and Oliver Drake will not be far behind. So it's good uh, to talk about guys coming off the DL yes, instead of going yes. on the DL. Glaber Torres off the IL from the Yankees, and man, can they use some help? So hopefully he's back to hitting. That's what I got for guys coming off. Players going on the IL this week. Let's start with Brendan Rodgers, the superstar Uber shortstop prospect for the Rockies, who is consistently blocked by the Rockies at shortstop by uh, Trevor, Story. Trevor Story. But he went on the IL with a right shoulder capsule strain, and he's suffered shoulder injuries in the past. That's kind of delayed the progress of Brendan Rodgers, and it's not what you want to see. No, when you have guys that are having reoccurring injuries, you start getting nervous about their long-term projections. When it keeps coming back to the same issues and they're not able to get over it, it definitely would make me nervous if I was the Rockies GM. Yeah. Uh, Rugnet Odor has been terrible for the Rangers this year. He went on the aisle this week with an eye infection, which is kind of what we heard from Salvador Perez. There were some updates on Perez that his eyes seem to be doing better. They didn't really give a timetable. When they put Odor on the I.L., they did activate Elvis Andrews, who had been on the I.L., so it was kind of a trade-off. Uh, once again, eye infections, it's hard to tell. Maybe 10 days, they get him some drops or something, and it helps out. Maybe it lasts a little longer. 
Yeah, that's a such a hard one again for batters. Again, you know, obviously, uh, you you need your sight. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, you have split seconds to uh, uh, to make all that happen, and uh, any sort of eye injury whatsoever uh, is going to be a not only stopping everything, but delaying everything because it takes a while for those things to finally clear up. Let's down some hamstrings here. Let's start with Array and Yandy Diaz. He's on the IL, hamstring injury, and Justin Turner. Another 10-day IL, another hamstring injury. Two big bats that are uh, on contending teams that mm-hmm. uh, are, are very useful. Both have depth, which is obviously uh, a need uh, when these injuries creep up. But you hope you can uh, get on the other side of it fast because there's not a lot of time to recuperate before playoffs begin. No, there isn't. And both those teams are expecting to be in there and going to do it well. Scott Kingery has been terrible this season. He dealt with COVID. He was one of the players that tested positive and we knew had symptoms. And he is, last I checked, his batting average was around 150. He went on the 10-day IL this week with a back injury. I think it was more of a let's get this guy some time just to see if we can rest him up and get him some confidence back. Speaking of COVID, I was very thankful to see that when the A's emerged last week, with this, there really hasn't been a big issue with that. Just one, as far as we've heard. It's, they missed the first series of the week, but they're back playing already. Marcus Simeon, you mentioned, is still not back playing, but they're going to try to avoid the IL with him. Uh, Jacoby Jones, if you're a Brewers fan, and I think most of our fans are at this point, are probably Brewers fans. You saw uh, Phil Bickford come in, make his big league debut, and drill the first two batters he ever faced in the hand. Broke Jacoby Jones' hand. He is out for the season. Uh, Will Myers had the strangest IL stint of the week. He went on the IL with an undisclosed injury for 10 days, and he got activated the next day. So I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but somehow they put him on the IL, and then he was activated the next day. I, I'm not even sure what to say. It, just the wild ride of the yeah. San Diego Padres. Emilio Pagan, we mentioned that they were they brought in Trevor Rosenthal. They got Drew Pomeranz back. They were getting this three-headed bullpen monster, and Pagan went on the aisle this week with the right elbow inflammation. The Padres are going to come up a lot as the team that we both believe had the best trade deadline, but that one's still going to hurt them. Uh, David Fletcher went on the aisle with a sprained ankle. He's the been a very good player for the Angels on a year of not a, very good there. A bright spot mm-hmm. on a very challenging uh, season uh, outside of outside of a, na- a name of Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. Uh, been a very nice bright spot for the Angels. Unfortunate injury. Yeah, that one is sad. The Twins, we mentioned that they got some players back. Byron Buxton's back playing center field for them. It's good because in left field, Max Kepler is no longer ranging around. Actually, it's in right field where he plays. He has groin tightness. It sounds, that one sounded pretty positive that they thought he'd be back in 10 days, which is awesome for them. Kepler is Still a very good player. He's only hitting, I think, 230 this year, but he does a lot of things that don't necessarily show up in the box or plays a very good right field. Uh, Gio Urshela, the Yankees got Glaber Torres back, but Urshela's on the IL now with a bone spur in his right elbow, which is not good at all. You don't want that. So I think for the like sixth time, they've called Miguel Andujar back to the big league team. He seems to be on the, I don't know where their alternate training site is, but he's got to be getting some frequent flyer miles going back and forth. Absolutely. Luis Perdomo was on the aisle with a 10-day with a forearm inflammation. Here's an interesting one. Kwon Young Kim, who we mentioned early on in our podcast, I actually kind of like Kwon Young Kim. He was coming over from Korea for the Cardinals, and he went on the aisle yesterday with a kidney ailment, and it was kind of – it sounded like he was in the hospital with having some type of a surgery, so you just hope that – I don't know what that meant, but you just hope that everything's okay there. And we'll wait for updates there. Yeah. Some of the bigger names that had some injuries this week, I don't know if you saw the Jose Altuve injury. He slid kind of weird in a second. His knee bent really awkwardly. They're calling it a right knee sprain, and it sounded like, at least originally, they were reporting it as day-to-day. So they thought positively that he might be only out 10 days, which if you saw the injury, it looked pretty bad. 
that one and uh, Jeff McNeil from yeah. uh, earlier this year, those were the ones that looked bad and teams were fortunate that uh, looks to be short IL stints. A not short IL stint is, we talked about this one before we started podcasting. The Orioles have been not playing great, which is too bad because the way the, Ori- the Yankees have been playing, they could be making up ground, but they're going to have to do it without their most consistent bat so far this year. And Anthony Santander, he had the oblique strain. They put him on the 10-day IL, but all reports are that oblique strain is bad and he's not going to play the rest of this season. Yeah, every report I'm seeing says he's done for the year, and that's unfortunate with how well he has performed this year. Another oblique strain is Nico Gudrum of Detroit. He's kind of their do-everything infielder, and Detroit is still actually in contention on the outskirts looking in, but not out of it. They've had a sluggish week. Uh, I think they've lost three or four straight, unfortunately, uh, but uh, they're still hanging around. Uh, and uh, for Baltimore, at least the positive is they swept the Yankees over the weekend. They still keep them somewhat uh, uh, within uh, distance. Another team that's within distance in that AL East is the Blue Jays, but another this one. This was the tough one. Yeah, they've. I mean, that team's lost Bo Bichette. I think that I saw that he was doing some drills, fielding, but the big one that they've actually got some great production on it, the Oscar Hernandez. He's been awesome for them, making some big hits. Today, this early this morning, he went on the IL Last, I said MRI schedule for today. They hadn't disclosed what the injury was last I saw, but it said serious time. Yeah, that was another one where I've been hearing reports of potentially gone for the year, depending mm-hmm. upon how, how things go into the playoffs. Uh, that's that's a big blow for them. Yeah, that's a when you have a player hitting that well, you can't afford to lose him like that. Philly's been playing some pretty good baseball lately, making up some ground, but a couple of their outfielders dropping out of the IL this week. Uh, I already mentioned Kingery, but Jay Bruce is going on with the quad strain. And Roman Quinn, who's one of the fastest players in baseball, if you've ever seen Roman Quinn play, he, they bring him in a lot of times just as a pinch runner or to play defense. He's on the concussion aisle, so they're going to be missing a couple of infield or outfield pr- players. Lance McCullers, Houston has had some problems with their pitching as it is. McCullers is a little inconsistent. He's on the aisle with a neck injury. And the final one I have is actually a prospect who – a lot of people thought would be traded last week for the Padres to make any moves, and Luis Camposano uh, got called up, played one day, hit a home run. Hit a home run. And he's on the IL now with a left wrist sprain. So they got he, he ran the gamut this week, did not get traded, made a big league debut, hit the home run, and now he's out. That big week in injuries again. About the only uh – only thing that's getting slowing down on the San Diego side of things. They have had a, a fantastic week that we'll come to in just a little bit. But our uh, our news and notes section kind of gives a chance to uh, uh, bid a, a fond farewell to uh, some uh, legends over the years. There's two, two uh, Hall of Famers who have passed away this week, uh, Tom Seaver, uh, with uh, at least COVID-related complications, at least as part of things. Uh, and then Lou Brock uh, uh, today uh, uh, heard that one. Let's start with Tom Seaver. So Tom Seaver, always known for his Mets career. He played for, I think, four actual teams. If we never have finished our goal podcast, eventually we'll get there in the offseason. Uh, Tom Seaver won over 300 games. Tom Terrific, 20 big league seasons, struck out over 3,000 batters. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. Multiple Cy Young Awards, one of the best 20 pitchers of all time. I'm confident saying that without looking it up. Uh COVID-19 is very dangerous disease still. It's still spreading, unfortunately, in the country we live in. We hope that we figure it out, but right now he didn't. You just got to remember the good times with Tom Seaver, and if you were a Mets fan, specifically I think of him with the Mets, there was a lot of good times. I loved their tribute to him this week. Uh, As a guy who was known for being very gritty as well, uh, the the dirt on the uh, right kneecap of the uniform – uh, all players uh, did that uh, for really? that I game. That, that was pretty neat. That's awesome. Yeah, Tom Seaver, 
great, great pitcher. Uh, Lou Brock, that one was just today. I don't not. I just saw that he was battling multiple illnesses at this point, so I'm not exactly sure what happened there. But Lou Brock, uh, we did outfielders. I don't know if we ever mentioned Lou Brock. Uh, Obviously, I think we did. famous uh, for the was, speed. He was at least mentioned uh, within. I don't know if it was an honorable mention, but I know that we talked about him. Yeah, Lou Brock. Cardinals, when I think of Lou Brock, I think of the Cardinals. And, of course, you think of the speed, you know, stealing the base paths. Stealing, I think he still, is it the big league record, 118 in season? Is that the record? I think so. It's either him or Ricky Henderson might have beat it. But 118 steals in that one season. One of the best outfielders of all time. Just rest in peace. As we uh, look at uh, some other milestones that have taken place uh, this week, uh, we have a couple of big ones. Clayton Kershaw surpassing 2,500 strikeouts uh, in his career. Uh, and uh, Mike Trout, uh, we're going to be mentioning his name with uh, milestones uh, for many years yet here, but uh, 300 home runs uh, surpassed that this week. Uh, it was Bleacher Report that uh, I saw the the, uh, the news that he was the fastest Major League Baseball player to 300 home runs and 200 stolen bases. I know we mentioned Mike Trout in our goal podcast, and I've said it then, I'll say it again. He is simultaneously the best player in baseball, and he is underappreciated for how good he is. That is, Mike Trout's career, when we look back on it, is going to be right up there with Ty Cobb if he doesn't get hurt. It is that special of a player. It's not often that you can recognize a Hall of Fame talent while in the middle of his career. Mike Trout is the very definition of that. If you want to see a Hall of Famer before it's announced and watch him while he is in his prime, that's Mike Trout, bar none. And while you look at this year, you don't hear Mike Trout mentioned in the same... I mean, we're going to talk about MVP players in a little bit. You may not know how good of the year is Mike Trout's having just because it's expected. He's leading baseball in home runs. He's doing it while hitting just shy of 300, and he's doing it somehow quietly just because it is literally that it's expected of him to be that good. Same thing is true of Clayton Kershaw. We have not talked too much about Clayton Kershaw just because, once again, Clayton Kershaw has been the best pitcher in baseball over the last decade. Even when the injuries have struck, and we've mentioned Clayton Kershaw's back injuries have been, he's found a way to pitch through them. He's found a way to change his game. He still has devastating stuff from the left-hand side, and that's why the Dodgers are consistently great because they find ways to make through it. Now, this year, Clayton Kershaw's 5-1. and one. He's still he's pitching to a 1-5 ERA right now. So Clayton Kershaw is still pretty decent at baseball. He's excellent at baseball. He's not going to win the Cy Young Award this year. He's got multiples of them. He also was a first ballot Hall of Famer. And uh, recognizing uh, another Hall of Famer who's uh, retired a number of years ago, but today marks the 25th anniversary of the Iron Man, Cal Ripken Jr. Uh, on this date in Major League Baseball history, 25 years ago, uh, had the most consecutive games played, broke the record uh, to become baseball's Iron Man. And he recently announced that he beat cancer, if I'm not mistaken. He, he beats a lot of things, uh, that's for sure. But I, I remember hearing that yeah, one as well. That's great. I think they actually had him out to – or his son. He has a son, a young son, who got to throw out the first pitch today. So that's yeah, awesome. I, th- I saw a note on MLB.com saying Cal and son throwing out uh, pitch, yeah, which is really cool That's cool because, you know, if you're going to find a way in this virtual year where there's no fans and I saw – you see some highlights and it's weird because you see the fans in the crowd and you're like, wow, I don't remember what it's like. So I've seen some highlights recently, but if they're going to find a way, get him out there. Are we going to have to find a way to do best uh, uh, best cardboard cutouts uh, of the season? I don't know if we're going to have to do that in a COVID year or not. But uh, I saw a Jackie Robinson one on the front, and that was pretty a couple cool. Of them. There's, there's some pretty good ones if you look throughout the crowd. That's that's a good time always. One who didn't get to be part of the crowd uh, for long is the Washington Nationals uh, general manager got ejected today uh, from the suites. 
Uh, that doesn't happen often. Uh, I don't know what was said, but it was enough that an umpire stopped the game uh, and ejected the GM. I did some searching for that, and it looks like he was ejected for not wearing a mask. Was hearing at least something about that being part of it. Didn't know if that was the whole thing or what all happened with that hoopla. But well, if uh, you're up by yourself, like the idea behind social distancing is he's outside, and I don't think there was anyone with him, so I don't really think you need to have a mask on in that case. But I, maybe? I, I believe there were some comments. Along I'm sure. With I'm it. sure it was not just. Uh, that's but, the team uh, that didn't Steven Strasburg get thrown out of the stands one time too <laughs> for them. So. Maybe they're a little vocal over there. It sure sounds like it, uh, and the umpires sure seem to think that it sounds like it. Well, here's what I've noticed about this year. Without the fans, right, how many more times have we seen a player or a coach get ejected from the dugout because the umpires are hearing, like they're, they're, pumping, in that, they're pumping the sound in, but the umpires are hearing everything now. So you got to be careful what you're yelling. They are, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I suppose with that note, we'll go to our, our Pirates positive note of the week each week on the uh, Heater podcast. We like to try to say something positive about the Pittsburgh Pirates, some weeks easier than others. Uh, and uh, I'll let you take this one away. This one's not too bad today. This one's not too hard. They, the Pirates won today, came back on the Cincinnati Reds, who still find a way to constantly disappoint us. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds were up. Two to one going into the ninth inning. The Pirates scored two off of closer Raziel Iglesias to get the win today. And in doing so, they've moved to 13 and 26, which is a 333 winning percentage. And they have now tied the Texas Rangers also at 13 and 26 for the worst record in baseball. So they are not solo last. Texas has dropped five in a row to get to that point. The cellar dwellers are looking to uh, at least bump up uh, one rung on that list. We'll see what happens this week. Hey. But there's your Pirates positive note of the week. Uh, with that, uh, we will uh, uh, get ready to segue into uh, bringing the heat. We're going to be talking about uh, players on a hot streak, uh, some hot comments from a Tampa Bay manager, uh, and uh, some ensuing uh uh, chaos that came from that uh, as well, uh, along with our trade deadline uh, winners and losers. All that coming up here in just a moment. Cut my egg. Your eggs are cut, sir. Cut my milk. I can't, sir. It's liquid. Imbecile. Please, then cut it. You, bring me the Wall Street Journal. You two, fight to the death. You are a madman. I want to party with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima hula hoops and Pac-Man video games, don't you see people today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds? <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Fulton fan. Yes! That's awesome! As we look at our bringing the heat uh, uh, section here, uh, Corey, why don't you tell us first uh, a guy that is jumping out in the National League? I wish his team was playing better, but we have not said very many good things on this podcast necessarily about the New York Mets. They've earned that. Uh, but Jeff McNeil had a very nice week this week. Jeff McNeil had been pretty cold. He's gotten some heat. He had that, Dan mentioned the bad injury. It looked like he was going to sustain earlier in the year, which he avoided. And this week he stepped up. He had six doubles this week, hit 10 for 25. So that's a solid week. Uh, didn't necessarily lead to a lot of wins, but anytime you can get six doubles in a week, he raised his season average this week, almost 60 points up to 289. So Chet McNeil com 
contended for a batting title last year. It's not going to happen in this strange season, but he still doesn't. He hit his first home run today of the season too, and so getting back to what you'd expect out of him. Again, when you think of where we normally are at this time of year, uh, that you have guys that would finally just be getting into their midseason groove, mm-hmm. uh, getting past whatever maybe early season slump or there's an, a nagging injury that started things out. Jeff McNeil is finally starting to turn it on and be the player that everyone expected on a team that never seems to meet expectations. So uh, we'll talk about that later in our uh recapping our season previews and uh, looking back at some uh, hot takes that maybe aren't so hot anymore. Uh, but uh, on the American League side, one wanted to highlight a player who made his debut this week uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays is outfielder Randy Rosarina. He was one of the COVID uh, uh, guys early on in the season, a month of not being able to do anything baseball related, which is what was part of the reason for his delay of getting called up to the major leagues. Uh, Making up for lost time this week, uh, today he hits two home runs in an effort of a 10th inning, extra inning affair with the Miami Marlins. Rays win that game. Uh, Three home runs this week, batting over 400. uh, Had a fantastic debut uh, for the Rays, but uh, overshadowed by uh, bigger events in uh, uh, Rays, Yankees, Years of building and brewing, and now it's at a full-on uh, boiling over simmer. Uh, and uh, well, rather than hear it from me, why don't we hear it from Kevin Cash? Let's hear from him first. Um, we've gone battles, and look, you're going to get some of this at the time when you're playing a short season with so many games. But it's absolutely ridiculous. It was mishandled by uh, the Yankees. Uh, certainly the pitcher on the mound. It was mishandled by the umpires. They hit Joey Wendell intentionally in the first inning. It was clear as day. Chapman comes in. He throws three different balls up and in. I get it. They don't like being thrown up and in. But enough's enough. We were talking about a 100-mile-an-hour fastball over a young man's head. It just it makes no sense. It's, it's, it's poor, poor judgment. Poor judgment. Poor coaching. It's just poor teaching what they're doing and what they're allowing to do. The chirping from the dugout. I, I mean, somebody would have to tell me, go pull the numbers, who's hit who more. Uh, but I can assure you, other than the three years ago, there hasn't been one pitch thrown with intent from any of our guys, period. Somebody's got to be accountable. And the last thing I'll say on it is I got a whole damn stable full of guys that throw 98 miles an hour, period. And that was the uh, insightful comments from Rays manager Kevin Cash after uh, game two of that series this week in which uh, Aroldis Chapman threw a 101-mile-an-hour fastball over uh, third base in Mike Brousseau's head. Uh, missed him only by a couple of inches. Uh, and this has been a th- now going on three-year-long affair of what it comes down to is the Yankees do not like being thrown high and inside. Uh, the Rays do that to at least take that inside part of the plate. Uh, anyone knows who follows baseball long enough the, the basics of things. If you have batters that are cheating into uh, closing in on the plate, so this way you can't pitch inside. Uh, so this way they can force you to pitch outside in that short right field uh uh, fence in uh, New York. Uh, example in uh, that series, DJ LeMahieu hit a home run that would only have been a home run in that stadium and no other stadium in Major League Baseball. So what's the response to batters that are cheating inside? You 
throw them a little sweet chin music. That's been part of baseball's, uh, uh, you check any pitcher going back to uh, Bob uh, Gibson and others uh, within it, this has always been part of baseball. Now I get when you don't like it or that's getting a little too close to what you'd like, uh, you, retaliation does happen, and it's been back and forth for three years going back to uh, CC Sabathia. And Andrew Kittredge, I remember that yep. one. Yeah, I remember and that, that one. was uh, another bit of fiery comments that came from that one that we could not repeat to you here no. uh, on this podcast. No. But uh, uh, ultimately, a line got crossed. With uh, Aroldis Chapman was throwing high and inside to the other pitchers or other batters uh, in that ninth inning, and then you had this. Uh, Chapman's thrown it like Chapman is the one who famously came out and said that he, we, he's been known to throw at batters before for whatever reason. I've said many times I de- detest those types of rules. I think he was the one who made comments about the Astros. Now they're not playing the Astros, but Chapman got a three-game suspension. It was deserved. It could have been more. I'd have been fine if it was more. If you remember back to Joe Kelly and it was a week two of the season when he got didn't actually hit any of the Ast- or the Astros players he threw behind them, but his was kind of because he chirped at him. I think they upped the games on him, but Chapman could have got a 10-game suspension. I'd have been fine with that. Boone and Cash, the managers, each got a one-game suspension and a fine, as far, but I don't think they ever told you how much, and they never will. Neither one of those, those guys didn't appeal. Chapman did appeal, I think, but I'm not sure if he ever actually served it or not yet. He hasn't served it yet. Uh, but my question to you is uh, not only for the on-the-field, but now the off-the-field, Kevin Cash's comments, especially at the end, uh, did you view that as an out, out-of-the-line threat? Uh, what do you take of his uh, raw uh, emotional comments after the game? The second he talks about we have a staple of guys throwing 98, you knew that the next day, you knew the next time, anytime somebody threw inside the next day, they were going to get both benches worn and anything inside they were getting thrown out, right? So, because that basically said, we're not afraid to throw at you. So you knew that Wednesday, right? That game happened on Tuesday, correct? And so they knew that Wednesday was going to be the day where any pitches inside was going to lead to a benches warning and then hopefully avoid, MLB doesn't want fighting right now. We've already seen it a couple times. MLB does not want fighting as they're trying to enforce social distancing. So they were going to do everything in their power that day to keep that from happening. And as far as I know, the day I didn't watch the game, did it? It went pretty well the next day. Let's put it this way. It is the mo- it was the most watched game of the season for the Tampa Bay Rays. The, the telecast was uh, had high ratings as I'm people sure. wondered uh, what might happen in that game. Here's my take on on what happened with with Kevin Cash's comments and why he said what he said. I don't think he was emotionally not thinking about his comments. His comments were intentional and not with the purpose of saying we're going to intentionally throw at batters the next day. I think his comments were intentional to make Major League Baseball respond. Those comments were for Rob Manfred uh, because the umpires didn't do anything uh, in response to Chapman's uh, uh, pitch. In the the game, you mean? Uh, Yes, absolutely. In the game, people said, you know, maybe he just let it go. No, he did not let that go. Like, he stares him down after he releases the ball. It is clearly thrown at him and and terrible. then the, the Yankees uh, chirp at the Rays after that th- the game is over mm-hmm. and if you take a look at the video from that before the Rays can even respond the Yankees are already out of the dugout on the Rays side normally you meet in the middle they were all the way over at the Rays dugout uh, for this so I think this was Kevin Cash's way of saying Major League Baseball either you respond with this you deal with this or I will and he knew that would mean he would get a suspension out of it too but if he doesn't make these comments, 
Chapman does not get suspended. None of this happens. I think he turned up the heat on this in order to get this issue addressed with and allow the team to move on to on the field where bottom line, baseball, you got to love poetic justice sometimes with what it allows. The Mike Brousseau, who almost got hit by Chapman's fastball, the next day in that game, two home runs. Uh, they they respond in, in uh, dominating fashion. They win 5-2. to two. Uh, they score four runs in the first right out of the gate, five opening hits. Uh, the best statement that you could make is on the field. The Rays finish off the season series with the Yankees 8-2. and two. Uh, That is a bigger statement uh, than any fastball that could be thrown. Just like I said when it was the Dodgers throwing at the Astros, beat them on the field, right? Just beat them on the field. And if they're going to go 8-2, and two, you proved you're the better team. Well, there are some GMs uh, this past week that wanted to, sh- to help their teams uh, win on the field. As we look at the trading deadline has now come and gone. Uh, and uh, w- can we just call it the Padres deadline? Uh, because it, it pretty Padres much deadline. was uh, owned by the San Diego Padres. They can sense that that team has a lot of talent for uh, this year and beyond. Uh, Fernando Tatis uh, emerging as uh, an MVP candidate. He might be on one or two of our lists. And uh, ultimately, their GM has always been aggressive to begin with, and he definitely uh, put the pedal to the metal at this trading deadline. I think they're now the highest-scoring team in baseball, if I'm not mistaken. I think they've scored the most runs in baseball, which is pretty impressive, considering that I don't think anybody would have guessed them at the beginning of the year to do that. They're a slam Diego for a reason. Slam Diego, that's right. So they said, what do we need to do to improve this team? So we mentioned some of these guys last week. They fixed catcher. They added Austin Nola. That was right at the very end of our last podcast. And they actually added Jason Castro. They got Mitch Moreland from the Red Sox, played DH for them. I think we mentioned that one. Uh, they Trevor William, Trevor Williams, Trevor Rosenthal was the big addition in the bullpen, but they did add a couple others, including Taylor Williams, who'd been closing for Seattle. And then the super big trade, which we heard about on Monday of last week, was they went out, traded six guys, I believe, including Cal Quantrill and Josh Naylor, who are some of the good prospects in their system. They have five super prospects, and somehow they got through all these guys without giving up any of them, which is incredible. And they landed the big pitching piece in the trade deadline is Mike Clevenger. We mentioned Mike Clevenger. They went out and they acquired him. Now, if you're going to play these postseason series, you need three pitchers. They now have Mike Clevenger, Denilson Lamette, Chris Paddock. They're ready to go up against the, the big three of the Dodgers. I mean, they obviously know that's where this is heading one way or another. Uh, and they now are adding to their uh, stable of, of horses to, uh, uh, to be able to compete against a team that has been crushing it uh, throughout the year. I think the Padres did as good as – obviously, they're the winner, the big winners of the straight deadline. Now, they did it as well as could be expected. The fact that they didn't have to give up any of those super prospects that they have, and they were still able to acquire the best player that got traded in the straight deadline, in my opinion, in Mike Clevenger, and fill in bullpen help, add another DH player, and fill in – I think Austin Nola's under team control for like three years, too. Uh, I think it's actually five. Five years? Uh, he's yeah. he, having a breakout season. And, yes, the Padres, everything that you would want. they Quality, quantity, and, uh, and control. value. Uh, control and value. Uh, and uh, guys that are not just rentals, you get some at Trevor Rosenthal, obviously, uh, but an impact uh, bullpen arm. Uh, the biggest one uh, at the trading deadline, Austin Nola. I, I love 
that trade. Uh, he is an underrated part of uh, their full uh, gamut of trades that they made this past week. Uh, he can play, he's got positional versatility. He can play catcher, and he's been solid mm-hmm. at it, along with other positions as well. Uh, so you traded for anything and everything that you could ask for, and to somehow do that without giving up your top five, top six uh, prospects is absolutely incredible. Uh, so compliments to everything happening in uh, in Slam Diego because uh, they're uh, to go along with it uh, on the field. They hit a lot of grand slams. Well, their GM just hit one here this week too. Yes, he did. Maybe not quite as flashy. Maybe not quite as uh, show off type moves. I'm going to take the Toronto Blue Jays as my pick for the winners of this trade deadline. We mentioned Taiwan Walker. He's pitched well for them since he got there. Uh, they made the move. I've done my. I've mentioned my dislike for Robbie Ray many times on this podcast. Uh, but they gave up almost nothing to get him. They gave up one minor league player. Maybe they're pitching. Maybe it's a change of scenery works for Robbie Ray. We've seen what it's done for Dylan Bundy. Robbie Ray has all the stuff in the world. As long as he can stop walking everyone. And they acquired Robbie Ray. A couple, one of the last trades that we saw go through was they acquired Ross Stripling for two minor leaguers. And I really like Ross Stripling. I think he'll fit in very well in Toronto. Very underrated. Very underrated. And then they're missing Bo Bichette right now. We've mentioned that they, they needed somebody to fill in for Bo Bichette. Jonathan VR from the from the Marlins, one year rental player here in this case, but speed and power, speed and power fills in for Bichette, and when Bichette comes back, which we all expect to happen, center field, he can play outfield, he can play infield, and he's one of the fastest players in the game. You need him to pinch pinch run if you want. I I think the Blue Jays quietly made themselves a better team. I would agree with that. They needed starting pitching help, and they went out and got three guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, some of it's. Uh, rentals, uh, some of its uh, lottery picks, uh, but there's upside there uh, for everything that they did, and quietly, they have positioned themselves to make a real run at it in the the final portion of this season, and right now, guess who's in second place in the AL East? It's not the Yankees now, it's the Toronto Blue Jays. And if you look at this rotation now, I think they can stay there. Hyunjin Ryu, is, after the first couple starts of being inconsistent, I think he's got something like six straight quality starts. Taiwan Walker, Tanner Roark, Robbie Ray, Chase Anderson's pitched well for them, Ross Stripling. It's just a lot of a lot of guys that are going to eat innings. So we talked about this, right? You eat innings, and you see if you can win. And they have a good enough offense. They can score runs. You know, you hope Teoscar Hernandez's injury is not good for that. That's sad. But you hope that they can keep it up. In a breakout season, that's the one that hurts. Uh, that's the one that could start to put the, uh, the brakes on things. Uh, but we'll wait and see. Like I said, when you get some guys coming back from injury, uh, their starting pitching depth has now improved. Uh, there's a there's an opportunity in the AL East, and with some of their young players uh, coming up uh, and performing well, uh, they are not only competitive, but they are playoff bound. I, I'd be surprised if they don't make the playoffs at this point. Me too. On the other side of those who either you expected to make moves and didn't or those that didn't take advantage of this uh, opportunity at the trade deadline, uh, my team for the uh, in the, the loser category here that should have done something in a different way, not for a contending team, but the Texas Rangers. They were the all the talk at this deadline of being able to, as scouts, as uh, unnamed uh, GMs said, they could control this trade deadline. Lance Lynn, uh, you have... Uh, uh, at Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo was being mentioned. Uh, I thought there was another pitcher, but I know Mike Miner was, but I thought there was another one yet. But anyways, Lance Lynn was looked at in the same way 
uh, that Mike Clevenger was of being a difference maker. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, And this would have been a chance for a team that is now tied with the Padres for last in the uh, record-wise in Major League Baseball. you did nothing. Uh, now, again, Lance Lynn is an excellent pitcher. He's under contract through next year. You want more guys like him. I get it. But right now, you need to rebuild. Uh, and this is a multi-year process. You could have gotten an impact prospect for Lance Lynn. Uh, even Joey Gallo. Like, there's, uh, He's a good player, uh, but he's not going to do you any good this year or next. Uh, as far as uh, your rebuild goes, those are players that you try to get something for because now if you trade Lance Lynn in the offseason, uh, he's a rental. He's only a one-year guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the trade value goes down. Uh, one and a half years left is usually when you get the most for a guy or two years if you do it in the offseason. Uh, so I, I don't know what they're, what they're doing there. Uh, it seems like stubbornness or maybe too high of a price on your players uh, and you scared teams away. There was a lot of teams we heard mentioned that were going to try to get Lance Lynn, too. So it wasn't like this was a team that <laughs> couldn't find a taker. Atlanta Braves I'm going to talk about the one. team that yeah. – this is the team I'm going to say that is my loser of the trade deadline. That's the Atlanta Braves. They are still, I believe, in first place in the National League East. I can check that quick. Yes, they are. They're still – they're three games up in the National League East. And they're doing it with my ex-freed and not a lot of other pitchers. I'm not saying they, they have an excellent minor league. If you check prospect rankings, they're gonna you're gonna see the Atlanta Braves are usually very highly ranked in that. And you don't have to trade it all off. You don't have to trade it all off to get Lance Lynn or to get a rental pitcher like Robbie Ray in there. But you could trade for somebody to help you out. This is a team that should be pacing to make the playoffs and do something there. Like they have a good team. So to not make any move at this point, other than Tommy Malone, we mentioned Tommy Malone. He got added, and he was okay. I guess it's somebody, but Lance Lynn would have made they a lot of sense. More. Yeah, they needed they, to make one more move, I felt like, at least a pitcher. And, and I get there was not a lot of impact players traded uh, at this uh, uh, deadline. Um, there was a decent amount of volume, which is what we predicted. Uh, and uh, Atlanta could have gotten one of these guys that was traded. Even Ross Stripling, as we mentioned, Ross there would have been a nice underrated Lance uh, Lynn. move I, that could Mike have been Minor, done. Right? Any of those guys, they needed Correct. a they need another starting pitcher on that team. They need somebody to help out Max Fried. He cannot be expected to win every fifth day for them. But if you'd have told me that they got Ross Stripling, I'd have loved that trade for them. But it didn't happen. You mentioned Mike Miner. He uh, has not performed uh, as well as he has in previous seasons at this point. But the Oakland A's picked him up as kind of a swingman. I, I don't know if they have a complete role uh, for him yet, uh, but he would be a, a very classic Oakland A's type of uh, value move. Uh, he uh, has all the capability. Again, it's hard to judge a player this season in just a few starts. Uh, we don't have much to, to go on yet, but he's a perfect rebound candidate that would still have a chance for a resurgence this year. Makes sense for the Oakland A's. Uh, my other favorite trade is... Uh, uh, Starling Marte. Uh, now, again, we talked uh, off air. Like It's hard to know what the Marlins are doing. They trade VR and then they acquire uh, uh, Marte. But Marte's under control for one more year. I think he's more impactful than, than VR. And I've watched him uh, in, over this weekend series with the Marlins and Rays. Uh, he is going to be an excellent addition for the, uh, uh, for this team. Marlins are... Looking competitive. They have nice young arms. Uh, Corey Dickerson is uh, looking good uh, as well. Some of these veteran uh, players. Uh, and then you're adding Marte to it. I think he has a chance to be one of the biggest difference makers of those that were traded uh, at this deadline. 
Sterling Marte is an excellent player. We've mentioned that. I actually kind of like their turn that the Diamondbacks got for Sterling Marte. Among them was Caleb Smith. Caleb Smith, uh, I think Caleb Smith can be a better version of Robbie Ray, actually, in some respects. He walks, too many, he walks too many guys also, but a change of scenery could be good for Caleb Smith. They've had success. The Marlins and the Diamondbacks make a lot of trades, including the Zach Allen got to the Diamondbacks from the Marlins, some of those types of trades. The Marlins also made a big call-up this week. We didn't mention that. Jazz Chisholm got called up to the big leagues to play shortstop. He's looked pretty good there To once they traded off Marte, but or traded off VR. So the Marlins, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Sterling Marte's a good player, but we, the Marlins were a team we talked about last week as being kind of, they were kind of a confusing one because we didn't know, are they going to trade for player? Are they going to trade away what's working for them? Or are they going to trade for players for next year? And I'm not sure if they knew what they were doing, so they just kind of did both. But their young pitching looks so good. Yeah, it does. Uh, th- Sixto Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Alcantara. Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez. Uh, they have uh, they have been uh, young fireballers that are performing well at the major league level. Uh, and I watched uh, uh, Alcantara uh, perform well against the Rays over the weekend, mm-hmm. too. Uh, and that's an offense that has been uh, underrated at this point. You normally don't think of the Rays as having a, a high-powered offense, but if you look at the, the runs per game, uh, they have been, and he just shut them down uh, can't very win well. At home. The Marlins are 15-9 and nine on the road, and they are 2-9 and nine at home. And wow. it's hard to argue any sort of home field advantage. We're going to talk about that when we, we review our season preview. Uh, and uh, two and nine, that's that yeah. is unfathomably bad. I don't you figure them I and you start winning some games at home and that's a team that's clearly ahead of the they're going to make the playoffs at that point. They're going to pass up Philly. Here's a thought. I, I actually think the no fans in the stands of who that could benefit long term. I think the Miami Marlins would be number one. They've been burned so much by previous uh, uh, regimes yeah. down there that a chance just to watch them on, on TV when there hasn't been much to do post-quarantine, uh, that you have, uh, I think this is going to generate some interest uh, in the in the young Marlins squad. They're building it the, uh, the right way. They have a lot of promise. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating offseason to see what they can do to, to keep this momentum going. But with playoffs being a possibility for them, uh, I, I think they're the team that is going to see the biggest bump in attendance of anything. Now, again, that may not necessarily be saying much when you know the floor of where they are, yeah. but it is hard to get people down there to actually be willing to commit or invest in this team because of its history. Yeah. And I think the only way that you could actually see real improvement there uh, is from a, a weird circumstance like this. I think this might actually help them develop a fan base that is that will stop looking at the past and start looking at the future. Be loyal to them, right? That's all it's ever been is can you stay loyal to Miami? And they've struggled with keep doing it. And yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe this is a positive in some respects. It's got to find some positives in this time of COVID. Well, let's talk about uh, jumping back to a couple of teams here before we move on. Uh, some sliders and risers. And uh, right now, the Yankees, as we mentioned before, uh, after starting out uh, very hot, uh, they were, I want to say, uh, what was it? Uh, Ten and four, or they six. were the they were in the lead at the beginning of the season. The, I had to they go back they to jumped check out that. very hot, but they have been under five hundred ever since. Uh, and now it's one thing to lose to a team that's first in the division, like the Rays, and uh, uh, all the injuries that they've had. That's understandable. Now you got swept by Baltimore. Uh, it was only because the Mets bullpen uh, imploded twice in that series that they 
even won any games there because they were they were down in the ninth for most of those games, uh, and nothing is clicking. Even Garrett Cole has a good ERA. He's had very good starts. He leads uh, Major League Baseball, at least at the time, and home runs given up. Uh, it's a it's been a weird year, even among those who have been positive. The injuries obviously are the biggest storyline there, but this team is sliding far more uh, than even with the with their injuries they should. Yeah, this the Yankees. If you look through the roster, are not getting production from players that you'd. Hold. It planned on them getting it from Gary Sanchez is currently as cold as he's ever been in the low 100s, which is wow, that's bad. Garrett Cole has a 463 FIP, and you're like you said, he's given up 20 over two home runs per nine innings, which is really hard to believe. Now it's a little unlucky the 22 percent, but his K per nine is incredible. Yeah, but the home run is the shocking one. Yeah, that's not good. Masahiro Tanaka, they're not 26 innings. That's not. That's not going to work either. So I, it's an old team. Like, that's the weird thing is they're good, but it's a very old team. They're expecting 31-year-olds and 37-year-olds, and James Paxton's always hurt. So I, they're going to make the playoffs. I still think they'll find a way to make the playoffs. Only because no one else. There's a clear-cut eight teams, and, yeah. and it's the haves no and have No one's stepping nots. up to take that spot from them, which is going to be – this is a team that, at this point, I don't expect them to do a whole lot in the playoffs just because – Unless Giancarlo Stanton comes back and he was off to a great start, right? He was tearing the cover off the ball. Aaron Judge would had seven home runs in seven days or something like that. They need one of those types of players, whether it's those two or Shella, someone to come back and spark some, not even just offense, but spark some life into this team. Uh, without question. Uh, they have been, uh, they need some confidence. Uh, mm-hmm. Right now they are uh, looking invincible, and that's not normally the uh, – uh, the New York Yankees. They're usually the one that has that uh, aura about them that intimidates teams, and they intimidate no one right now. They scored five runs in those three games against Baltimore. One run, one run, and three runs. That that ain't going to cut it. If you're a New York Yankees team, you're used to scoring six, seven runs consistently. When they started the year off so hot, it was nine, nine, eight, eight, five, five, nine, six, seven. Like That's the New York Yankees that this team expected to be, not the team that was going to struggle to score runs. It's great to see Clint Frazier doing well and, and getting playing time, but when he's leading uh, your team, uh, that doesn't cut it for the New York Yankees. Another team that's sliding right now is the Houston Astros. Uh, they were swept over the weekend as well. By the Angels, which... Mm, I had hopes for the Angels, but it ain't going to happen. The Astros... Obviously, the Altuve injury is, is in there. The Altuve injury is there. They're... They're playing. Kyle Tucker looks awesome. They finally started to play Kyle Tucker. He looks incredible for them. Springer is kind of cold, but his BABIP is really low. I know when I last looked at that. I think it's a lot of the fact that it's Zach Greinke, and they've gotten some production out of Fran Valdez, but after that, McCullers has been not very good, and Christian Javier has been sort of okay. Justin you lose Verlander. Justin Verlander, and yeah. it's you lose Justin Verlander, and you can't. You're never going to replace that, right? That so they lost the- Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander from last year. That was the biggest injury blow of the season. When Verlander went down, we talked about it at the very beginning before this got started, they are reliant on the top of that rotation. That's what it was last year, and they rode those horses all the way to the World Series. Uh, when you lose Cole and you don't replace him with anyone, I mean, you're not going to replace Cole, but you don't even try to replace him. That We said at the very beginning of this, that would mean you need Granke and you need Verlander to actually be those guys, and when one goes down with injury... You just don't have enough to, to keep that going. And they've they've surged back. They started off slow. They've surged back. 
But now they're starting to uh, drop off again. Absolutely. It happens, right? You have hot streaks and you have cold streaks. Justin, or sorry, Zach Greinke has pitched 46 innings this year. He has given up two home runs and seven walks, which is just phenomenal for the fact that this guy is now, how old is he now? He is 36 years old and still pitching like that. He has reinvented himself so many times throughout his career from a power pitcher to an in-between pitcher to now he's just a finesse pitcher who gives up nothing out there. He even tells you what's coming and they still can't uh, hit him. Zach Ranke will not win the Cy Young Award this year because he pitches against Shane Bieber, but the fact that Zach Ranke could very easily leave his career with only one Cy Young Award with the way he's pitched since about 2008 is just unbelievable because that guy is some type of special. Absolutely, and I suppose as far as expectations go, uh, this was a big uh, offseason uh, coming into this year uh, for the Phillies. Uh, big things were expected from them, and then halfway through the year, it's like, where are they? And th- then they, they traded for two bullpen arms, and even we were kind of somewhat joking, just saying, why are they uh, making these moves? They're still like six games under five hundred. That was a couple weeks ago. Uh, a lot has changed in, in two weeks, and you're starting to see the team that you expected to see at the beginning of the year. I've always, I think I've mentioned a couple times. I really like the Phillies team. I think it's pretty good. Now they actually added another one. We should mention just because we're in Wisconsin. They added David Phelps for another bullpen arm, uh, for some three minor leaguers went to the Brewers in exchange. So they've done some things to help their bullpen, and they're playing pretty well. Seven to three. They got lit up today by the Mets. Gave up fourteen runs, but overall they're now moved up. They're nineteen and seventeen. They're only behind Atlanta and. Bryce Harper's playing like an MVP. JT Ramuto is playing awesome for them. They are getting production from De- Gregorius. So some of their, their big free agents. Phenom, their prospect. Yep. Alec uh, Baum. Boom, sorry. Alec Boehm. I don't want to say bomb. People hate it when you say bomb, apparently. But Alec Boehm, yeah. They've gotten production from him as a rookie. Zach Wheeler has been worth every penny this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a team that has enough to it that we're, again, we, we've said this all along in such a weird year. All you have to do is get in. You get in, and if you have the talent there, everything resets, uh, and anything can happen. Uh, and the Phillies are starting to uh, put themselves in that position uh, where they're going to be riding some good momentum. I mean, we're going to talk about in just a little bit uh, MVP candidates uh, through the first half of the year and uh, going into the, the second half, and Bryce Harper is going to be very much uh, in that consideration. Uh, he has had that type of uh, season for them, and it's nice to see the wins starting to hit a team that uh, is coming back to meeting those expectations. It's good to see that when Philadelphia, you, you really like to see a team where they've spent some money to try to keep their team competitive. They're not, they've never really went into a tank. You see a lot of teams that go into a tank. They've never done that. And it's not always worked out, but it's working out now. I don't think they're going to catch the Braves for first, but in this weird year where first doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot, you can't tell me that a Phillies couldn't beat a team. I like the Padres a lot. They we just talked about how good the Padres are, but Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola give the Phillies two pitchers that can hang with anyone. And expectations can be interesting. Uh, you can have some that uh, meet, some that go, wow, what were you thinking? Uh, and uh, speaking of all those fun things, we're going to take a look at uh, ours at, from the beginning of the year uh, as we review our, uh, uh, we give you our current uh, AL and NL MVPs, our current uh, midseason awards. We're going to look back at our preseason uh, predictions and some of the storylines. And uh, uh, there's some uh, s- uh, some Slam Diego moments, and there's some uh, not so much. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. You can take away our phones, and you 
can take away our keys, but you cannot take away our dreams. That's right, because we're like sleeping when we have them. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Well, let's take a look at uh, those who are uh, deserving of awards here at midseason, and then we'll uh, compare it to uh, what we thought might be happening as this year got started. So first, let's go with the American League. Let's start with uh, the big ones. Let's go with MVP right away. Uh, who do you have for the uh, AL uh, Most Valuable Player? I'm going to go with a guy who we think we mentioned as on a heater one week and maybe haven't mentioned him a whole lot since then, but he's stayed on a heater all season since then, and that's Jose Abreu. His team is still doing pretty well in the standings. I don't believe they are – I believe they got passed up, but they the White Sox are still doing well. They're still going to make the playoffs. Actually, no, I was wrong. They have been tied by the Cleveland Indians, but 26 and 15 is where the White Sox are at, and so team success usually helps you win a, even this individual board. He's leading the American League in hits with 52. He has 12 doubles, 13 home runs, 40 RBIs, and he's hitting 317 doing it. So Jose Abreu has never won an MVP. He's been – Three times an all-star. He did win the rookie of the year, his opening year. But every year he's been in the big leagues, he's been consistent. And this year, shortened season, he's been even better than usual. So I'm going to give it to Jose Abreu. Was he six home runs in one series? Was that what he pulled off when yeah. he uh, tore things the up Cubs. that weekend? Yeah. Beat the Cubs. Actually, I think he lost one of those games to you, Darvish. But he they, they beat the Cubs a couple, and he had six home runs in a series, one of only like 12 players to ever do that. And so six home runs in a series is great. 13 home runs in 40 games, even better. And uh, to stand out on an offense that has been very good uh, is also impressive. Uh, he almost became an afterthought in the offseason from all the different additions and uh, then their prospects coming up. And We're going to mention uh, one of those guys too. Right. And uh, uh, for him to emerge uh, in kind of his uh, a career year on an already very good career, uh, is impressive, uh, and he's been uh, fun to watch this year without question. I'm going to go with the uh, the tried and true, the almost overlooked despite the, the crazy numbers. Mike Trout is having another MVP season, shocking as that is. Uh, and, uh, again, we mentioned the fastest to 300 home runs and uh, 200 stolen bases. He's doing a little bit of everything. He's tied for the lead, uh, league lead in home runs. We mentioned uh, how hard it would be to lose uh, a prime season and the peak of his career with a, a shortened year, and he's making up for a uh, shortened time. Uh, he's uh, on an incredible pace uh, and just don't want to overlook him uh, in the midst of uh, just a phenomenal career and a phenomenal year. The te- you, you wish at some point, can the Angels put something together so we can actually see him in a playoff stretch? That's what we want to see. This would be his fourth MVP award, and he's also had four second-place finishes. And so he's leading baseball. You mentioned home runs. He's leading baseball in slugging percentage. He's leading it in OPS. He's led it in OPS four years in a row at this point and five of six. He's going to lead it in slugging, I'm sure, for the third year in a row. So Mike Trout, like you said, it, it's just an award. You could always say Mike Trout's got a chance as long as he plays at least in a regular season. You'd say 120 games. He's got a chance to always win it because he's going to be super productive. 
And in this shortened year where he's leading baseball in runs and home runs, it would not be a surprise at all to see him get his fourth MVP award of the American League. At the very least, finishing in the top two. Uh, That's going to be a consistent theme, it seems, throughout his career, as it already has been. I think we have uh, a, a unanimous decision with the AL Cy Young. Yeah, I couldn't even. So some of these we wanted to talk and bring up some more names, but the AL Cy Young Award is just at this point, it's already locked in unless Shane Bieber had some type of miserable end, which I don't foresee happening. Having watched many of his starts this year, including today, I don't see Shane Bieber possibly giving this award up. At this point, he's 6-0. He's leading the American League in ERA. He leads it in strikeouts. He leads it in wins. So he is pitching to the Triple Crown. He has 84 strikeouts and 52 innings. I'm not sure if that includes today. I believe it does. And then he is a. It's not like he is getting lucky either. He is a 174 FIP, which is slightly higher than his ERA actually, but still 174 seven runs he's given up all year in 52 innings. Wow! It's amazing that Cleveland has this many Cy Young candidates. Or before the year, we talked about a few different pitchers that could uh, could win it, and uh, we're at least right on the team mm-hmm. uh, to this point. And what's amazing about Shane Bieber, uh, Buster Olney. Uh, reported this earlier uh, in the week. Normally, when you take a look at a pitcher, uh, when a, a batter gets a chance to see them the second time and especially the third time through the order, usually the stats go in the batter's favor. Even the most dominant pitchers, they crush it in the first time. Second time goes up a little bit, but not so much. And the third time at least bumps up a, a decent amount. That's what happens to most guys. Not to Shane Bieber. Shane Bieber versus opposing hitters in 2020. First time through the lineup is a 509 OPS. The second time through the lineup is a 494 OPS. And the third time through the lineup, a 347 OPS. Now, again, OPS is normally a larger number. Like, normally, at least you're getting to a, a, a 347, it's just a decent on base percentage. OPS, that's almost unheard of. And that's the third time from seeing him. He gets better as the as the game goes on this year. Just incredible the year he's having. I was actually wrong. It did not include today. So as with today, he moves to 7-0, 57 innings, 94 strikeouts. He is striking out just shy of 15 per nine innings, not giving that up. Good? Any, that's, that's that's pretty good. good. You'll okay, take okay. that. Yeah, you'll take that. The, the XFIP is 157. The FIP is 169. So Shane Bieber, at this point, unless he had some type of horrendous stretch that would be completely out of everything he's ever done in his major league career, including the minor leagues, he he will win the Cy Young Award. By any and every metric, he is dominating. The question is, will he win? We, we didn't mention him under the MVP. It doesn't happen all that often because they have the Cy Young Award, but he absolutely has a chance to win the American League MVP. It's been a while. It has happened. Uh, Kershaw won it with the NL, right, didn't he? Kershaw. That's, I think that was the last one. Uh, and uh, he, is, he has been that dominant to be in consideration. Uh, at very least, you're in top three consideration mm-hmm. uh, for the MVP award in addition to the Cy Young. Uh, Rookie of the year, I suppose this is the other one that's a slam dunk. How you cannot have Luis Robert uh, as, as good as he has been as uh just fun to watch. There's always some sort of positive play, some sort of uh, the energy he brings uh, to the White Sox. He's contagious. I texted you this week, the one night, it's asked if you saw the home run, because it, it had to go 470 feet. It was just destroyed. He's got 11 home runs on this season at this point in 155 plate appearances. He stole four bases. He's hitting 270. And he looks like this is there's a reason the White Sox paid him that big contract before they ever saw him. Everybody knew that Luis Robert, barring some 
thing that nobody could predict it in his minor league career was going to be a superstar. So they gave him that big contract before the year ever began, and he's living up to it. And this part, it's going to look like if, if he plays out that contract, it's going to look like a massive steal to get him for 50, year, 50 million for six years because in a few years he could very well be the best player on that team and one of the best players in the game. He's already showing that uh, projection at this point, and uh, there's no reason to believe that he will slow down. If we would, uh, I suppose the last award with the American League that we should talk about is a manager of the year. Uh, and uh, uh, for me, you can call it a homer pick if you like, but it's definitely deserving. Uh, Kevin Cash has pushed all the right buttons for the Tampa Bay Rays. They have the best record in uh, the American League. Uh, this despite losing pretty much their entire bullpen and and uh, half of their starting rotation, and yet they have uh, the best record in Major League Baseball. He has appropriately defended uh, his team at moments when he's needed to, uh, and that incident with the Yankees, if you listen to beat reporters who asked players in the, the games that have followed, the days that have followed, uh, they have just expressed their admiration for him even more. Uh, of how much he has their back. Uh, they He has the complete control of that clubhouse. Again, pushing all the right buttons. He's my manager of the year at this point. I'm going to stick to my third White Sox, and I will take Rick Renteria. So I mentioned yeah. Abreu for MVP, Robert for Rookie of the Year. Rick Renteria has managed four years, one with the Cubs, three with the White Sox at this point, and has never had even a 500 record. And there's a lot of people in Chicagoland that did not want Rick Renteria, to, Rick Renteria to stay, but now he's got the White Sox in first place. Now they added some players. You could say, well, it's because they added all these great players. Well, someone still has to manage them, and Rick Renteria is doing a fine job. They're 26-15. and 15. They have scored – they have a very nice run differential at this point, plus 53. So if you're, you're – we didn't expect them to be better than the Twins or Cleveland. I still think those are three of the best teams in baseball in that division, but – all right now, the White Sox are pacing it, and I think Rick Renteria deserves some love. We'll uh, talk about that when we when we review our predictions. But we talked about playoffs uh, from the 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 off season that they had, the young talent that was there. We said there's no reason why they shouldn't contend for the playoffs. But I don't think anyone thought they would be this good this quick. Uh, and it has definitely been coming together there. And now you have a a three-way race for the uh, division crown. That's the best only a, race. Only a game and a half separates all three teams. That's going to be the best best race to watch down the stretch. Because there's three good teams. Some, you mentioned, like, the Yankees are falling off, right? The, neither one, None of those teams are falling off at this point. Minnesota's been a little cold lately, but their version of cold is 500 baseball. And even in the AL West, yeah, Houston's been been better, but Oakland's been uh, has been above and from start to finish, uh, they are uh, the better team. Uh, Houston just doesn't have the the arsenal to uh, to surpass at this point, unless Oakland does a major slump. Uh, but yeah, the AL Central is going to be the best division to watch down the stretch. Let's look at the NL the NL midseason awards. Let's start with MVP. There are really four candidates here. I know who you're going to pick, so I will take. I will talk about Bryce Harper because we we mentioned Bryce Harper. I don't actually believe Bryce Harper will win the award, but he absolutely has some say in that he he has a reason to believe that he deserves it. So Bryce Harper this year has seven home runs. He's stolen five bases. He's hitting 271, 25 runs, 21 RBIs. When Philadelphia gave him that massive contract before last year, this is what they expected. He wasn't great last year. He hit 260 and. When you're not great, you're involved 35 home runs and 15 steals. You know how good of a player you are. His whole thing has been that the shift has kind of really affected his career. He has batting average, really good years and really low years, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's 
he hits the ball so hard, but he tends to pull it. So when they talk about banning the shift or something, that would really make Bryce Harper's career something else. But at this point, Bryce Harper, like I said, seven home runs, seven steals, more walks than strikeouts, playing on one of the better teams in the game. I, I, like, I think Bryce Harper has a claim. Absolutely. It's his all-around game. Everything has been uh, been good for him. Uh, and as the wins have come up with, with Philly, it only makes it that much easier to uh, give him some love. Uh, and uh, the one that I'm going to go with is the – uh, one of the few predictions that I think we uh, were, uh, landed on, but uh, Mookie Betts uh, from the Dodgers has been everything that they've wanted him to be and then some. Uh, he's on a 50-homer pace on a regular season, uh, near a, just under a 10-win 10 10 above replacement year at this projected rate. He's playing great defense. He's uh, everything that you would, again, want him to be. What is he at? 316 batting average, 363 on base percentage, a, if I can read my so notes here, 625 slugging percentage, uh, a 171 WRC plus. Uh, he has been again incredible. Well, since this is the, this is the hardest award to award at this point, as far as because it's really a four person race. We mentioned we mentioned Bryce Harper, we mentioned Mookie Betts. Juan Soto missed the beginning of the season with COVID. He's only played 27 games. He has 11 home runs in those 27 <laughs> games with 26 RBIs, and he's hitting 354. In 27 games, he has almost one and a half war. So Juan Soto needs to get mentioned for his contribution. Absolutely. And then the guy who's most likely to win it just because it's also a little bit of a fan award, like who gets the most hype. And Fernando Tatis is the one who's getting the most hype, right? Everybody's talking about how good Fernando Tatis has been. He has 15 home runs tied with Mike Trout, 43 runs, 39 ribbies. He also has seven steals, and he's doing it while hitting 311. So I, I actually believe that Fernando Tatis will win the award. I'd like to think Bryce Harper will, but I would actually guess that Fernando Tatis will win this award. Of, of the four, uh, he has come on so strong to be already like one of the faces of the game. Yeah. Like That's what's insane about this, to be at his age doing what he's doing uh, While well, you can make a, a case for any of the three veterans that we mentioned, uh, Fernando Tatis has been in a class above himself. Uh, and uh, for the most surprising team in baseball uh, and uh, the most fun team in, uh, in baseball, you could argue, and uh, he's right in the, in the middle of it. And uh, 27 uh, extra base hits in 41 games. Amazing. That's, he's an incredible player. I, I don't know how he does it with that striker rate. I really don't know how he does it with that striker rate. But... Some players can make that work, and he's got that unbelievable speed, so his BABIPs are always going to be way up there. And Fernando Tatis, a fun player, and like you said, it, it's a little bit of a like you said, it's a fan award still to some extent. So I, I think Fernando Tatis will probably win it, but that's the one where there's four really strong contenders. That's a, a better uh, chase mm-hmm. uh, than the the American League. The American League is good, but the National League there's just four clear cut guys. Uh, and all of them are, are a lot of fun to watch, uh, and uh, looking forward to seeing them in the uh, the place uh, playoffs this oh, year. Yeah. Uh, Cy Young, as we look at that in the, the National League, uh, there's especially two guys that stand out, and I think we got both of them here. Um, I'm going to go with you, Darvish. Uh, he has been uh, everything again, despite a, a brief uh, blip uh, with the the Cubs. Uh, his initial season was not good. Uh, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't what they were paying him to be. Well, he has been everything that they've wanted him to be uh, this year. 
Uh, he has shut down uh, every team. He's been dominant in pretty much every start. Uh, and the Cubs, when they when they jumped out to such a, a huge record leading baseball, he was every bit part of that. Uh, and uh, he just he hasn't slowed down at all. He's seven and one in his eight starts. He is also, if you watch you Darvish, he's one of the funnest pitchers to actually watch pitch because he throws like. Uh, they say he throws eight pitches. He throws seriously. You can watch him, and he throws like 15 pitches, I think, because when he slows down, some of his pitches or speeds him up. Some of them really move. Sometimes they don't move as much. And so you Darvish, is, he, he's the other option. The, the one that you picked as the preseason award is the one I'll say is the one I think is going to win it, and that's Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom has made seven starts also, including today. He's only 3-1 and because for some reason they have the worst bullpen ever. But uh, – DeGrom's doing exactly what he's done to win the last two awards. In 48 innings, he has got 70 strikeouts and a 169 ERA. So while he will never have the win numbers, Yu Darvish has got seven to his three. The other stats are always going to be right there for him. For the advanced stats uh, uh, gurus and, and fans, uh, I want his win numbers to stay low. <laughs> Just so he can win a third one without actually having the... Normally you need the shiny 20 wins in a season to get you a, a shot at it. And uh, he's going to get nowhere near that in any season with the New York Mets. I just don't see it happening. The Mets could all of a sudden win the World Series and have the best record in baseball, and he still would have terrible win numbers. I'm just convinced that's his career trend uh, with New York. And uh, uh, but again, this is not wins are a, a team uh, measurement, not an individual measurement. And uh, Degrom has been absolutely incredible, every bit as good as his Cy Young years prior. And uh, I would be curious to see if he can three-peat that. It's certainly a chance for that at this point. Like you said, you Darvish is a competition. That that one could. That's a definitely a two-person race at this point. And so we'll see where they end up going. Maybe one of them. If one of them did have a blow-up, we mentioned Shane Bieber would really need to be terrible down the stretch. If one of those guys had a bad start or two, the other person kept it going. That could be the deciding factor in that race. Who's your rookie of the year pick? This one might be rough to hear for you because it's one of the ones that got away from your Tampa Bay Rays, Jake Cronenworth, who but many people, I don't know if we've ever mentioned Jake Cronenworth's name on this podcast, but he has been super good for the San Diego Padres, playing a little shortstop, playing a little second base. At this point, Jake Cronenworth has hit nine doubles, three home, three triples, four home runs, has 18 RBI, stole a couple bases, and he's hitting 330, while I said playing all around the infield for them. So, this is a team I don't think they necessarily plan to have him. They had some early injuries, put him at second base, and at this point he is playing well for the team that's in making the run to the – they're going to be the top wildcard team. They're not going to catch the Dodgers, but they're definitely the most surprising team in the game. And the reason for their success is you're getting contributions all the way up and down that lineup, and Cronenworth has been a pleasant surpri- pleasant surprise on a very pleasant surprise team. Uh, and uh, at least it does go to show you, I kind of like that when the Rays uh, players do go on and, and do well elsewhere, so they're not scared to trade with them, like the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, trade with uh, Glasnow and Meadows, etc. You need a few guys to do well so you can still make good trades. Uh, so happy to see that Cronoworth uh, is doing well in San Diego. Uh, I'll pick Dustin May. Uh, the Dodgers always seem to come up with uh, new young talent, uh, Every year, there's someone that comes up and does well, and and uh, that is a hard uh, rotation to break into, uh, and he has definitely uh, held his own. Uh, he has a 2.88 ERA. Uh, his xFIP is definitely is over a, win, uh, a run above that, uh, but he has performed well in eight starts. 
uh, and uh, been everything that they had won from like a number five starter. Again, there's not a lot of uh, National League uh, rookies that are standing out right now, but uh, Jake Cronenworth and Dustin May are two of them. If you've seen Dustin May pitch, there's a Rick. His nickname is Gingergard because he's kind of like Cindergard, except he's got red hair, and it's kind of fun to watch him because he throws 100 mile an hour two seam fastballs up there. I actually surprised he doesn't strike more guys out, but Dustin May is a good pick. Dustin May could very well win it. Well, let's take a look at uh, who we thought would win it coming into this season. We'll start with the American League, uh, and my MVP was Josh Donaldson. Uh, and you're going to notice a, th- a theme on my picks, at least in the American League, about that health thing being a key component of it. Josh Donaldson uh, just hasn't. He had that calf injury that, that has hit him before, creep back up, and uh, so he hasn't played many games. He's been good, uh, but uh, just not on the field much. My AL pick was Anthony Rendon, and he started off injured, and then he started off really cold, but he's definitely come on. He's got he's hitting 288 now, hit seven home runs, 20 RBIs, 20, 22 RBIs, 20 runs scored. He's got over two war already for them. So he's played well for the Angels. He's been out sh- overshadowed by Mike Trout and some of those other players that we talked about, Jose Abreu. So he will not win the MVP award, but I don't think that they can say the big contract they gave him, He he's certainly not disappointed at this point this year and I will be uh, absolutely believe that Anthony Rendon could win the MVP award next year too and uh, I would agree with that Rendon has uh, he started off frigid and then uh, he heated up very quickly uh, and he's been a positive addition and providing lineup protection for uh, Trout but it's just the pitching hasn't been yeah. there the Angels have had the worst pitching in the American League uh, but we'll we'll talk about them in a little bit. Uh, but uh, looking at Cy Young predictions, I had Shohei Otani. Uh, <laughs> and uh, speaking of more Angels' uh, dem- uh, demise and uh, health being the key things, coming back from Tommy John surgery in a weird year, uh, it, you knew things were, were bad when all of a sudden he walked like eight guys in spring training without recording uh, an out. Uh, and that's when the red flags started, and ultimately what they decided is they didn't want to damage his psyche, uh, let him focus on hitting, uh, and take care of the pitching in the offseason, let that arm fully rebuild, uh, and it was the best decision to make, uh, and, and I think uh, there's still a chance there's Cy Young's in his future, but it's definitely not this year. He can be your comeback pick of the comeback player of the year next year. We can, we'll, we'll go for that. Maybe Maybe he'll go back to pitching. I actually picked a pitcher to win the American League Cy Young Award who was not even in the American League as of last week, and that was Mike Clevenger. Clevenger had his, we mentioned Clevenger a lot with the trades, right, with the Padres. Was the biggest piece, moved at the trade deadline. Still think he's an excellent pitcher, but he hasn't pitched up to a Cy Young caliber this year. He's got a 314 ERA. He's not striking out nearly the numbers of per he did last year, and he's walking more batters. So none of that's as good. He has not pitched bad. I still think he can be the number two, number maybe the ace of the San Diego Padres for the next couple of years. I don't think he's going to be bad for them. He will not win the Cy Young Award, but not a bad pick. I don't feel bad about my choice there. That just uh, again a weird year. Mm-hmm. You had the uh, the take get the breaking missing ten days too. Yeah, yeah, you have the the breaking of uh, protocol and uh, some of the issues that uh, took place there. Uh, ultimately. 
that all works in the Padres' favor. If none of that stuff happens, I don't think he gets traded. I think this was just enough of a thing where uh, when you had Tristan McKenzie coming up and crushing it right out of the gate, uh, it made Clevenger expendable for the right type of trade. Uh, and that goes into the, the Padres' favor. I definitely like him as a long-term pick uh, there as well. Uh, rookie of the year, I had uh, Jesus Lazardo from the, the A's. And he's been good, not great. Uh, yeah, not, not a bad pick uh, when you look at him here. Injury issues were an, an initial uh, thing going on, but he has uh, eight starts, or excuse me, six starts and near 40 innings uh, under his uh, belt at this point. And uh, again, his numbers were overall solid. His advanced numbers are better than uh, the stuff that's shown uh, before. I think he's got an ERA of around four right now but his uh, 4.23 to be exact, and his XFIP is 3.62. So he has been uh, overall uh, a, a pretty good pretty good season for him. Yeah, absolutely. You can't be disappointed with your pick of Jesus Cesardo. He's pitched well. He, he's going to have a hard time catching up to Luis Robert, who was actually my preseason pick. So we've talked a lot about Luis Robert. I'm feeling pretty good about that one at this point. But Lazardo, if I had to say the second, if, who's going to finish second, I could absolutely see Lazardo finishing second to Robert this year. And uh, absolutely, and uh in the National League, uh, I feel better about those picks than I do in the American League with uh, what's happened. Uh, Mookie Betts, who I mentioned before, is one of the four uh, that we've talked about that's currently in the running for it. Numbers are definitely there, uh, but he's being overshadowed uh, by uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. at this moment. But been everything that the Dodgers have wanted with that, uh, yours was same, correct? Mine was also Mookie Betts, yeah. We both had felt confident Mookie Betts. He's played up to the contract. The Dodgers felt confident and gave him that huge contract for not long into the season. But it's just, like you said, somebody's played better. Jake DeGrom for Cy Young. Uh, still feel good about that one. It's kind of hard not to pick him year in, year out. You're always going to get a good season out of him. Yeah, that one. that one's going to work out well for you, I think. Maybe, maybe Darvish gets him, maybe not. Mine got a total of five innings before he missed the rest of the season. That was Steven Strasburg. I thought the short year he could maybe make 12 starts, 13 starts, and pitch like he does. He pitches well when he pitches, right? But five he, innings, and he didn't actually pitch well in those five innings, so he ended with a 10 ERA. And, uh, just a weird injury, too. Or another weird – it's his whole career, right? Whenever he pitches, he's good, but those weird injuries crop up, and so Steven Strasburg out for the year. Never know. You know maybe, the, maybe he'll someday get that Cy Young Award, but he's now 32, and – Overall, I guess he's had a good career, but it's never been what was expected as the first pick overall. He got the money thanks to his uh, his agent, but uh, I don't know if the Nationals are going to get good value uh, for him at this point. Uh, that pick went about as well as my uh, uh, rookie of the year pick, uh, Dylan Car- or Carlson, Carlson Dylan. Dylan Carlson. I was right the first time. You were right. Uh, rookie of the year for National League, the St. Louis Cardinals slugger. We thought that with the addition of the DH, that that would be a positive thing uh, for him. Uh, he is at negative 0.4 wins above replacement, so I don't think I'm going to be right on this one. You didn't get called up till the end, and yours is at negative. Mine is at zero, so I'm winning this one. Mine is at zero. <laughs> so uh, Mackenzie Gore never got called up to the big leagues. I thought maybe San Diego would push it ahead, try to force the issue, and they've been great, but they haven't needed him. They got contributions out of Zach Davies. So and they added Mike Clevenger. There's so. a very good chance Mackenzie Gore could be my pick next year. Absolutely. Uh, comeback uh, player of the year. I'll hold on to that one. Let's. Uh, I'll, I'll laugh at that one later. Let's first go to balance things out. The National League Manager of the Year. Uh, well, we didn't do managers didn't, for that. We so, didn't mention me. the ones that we think they're going to win it this year. So the ones I think is going to win it this year is uh, David Ross, and that's the Cubs. The Cubs have played really well. 
the, the National League, he's just making his debut there. You, they didn't know what they were getting. The Cubs turned it around, and first-place team, they're not going to lose the first place in the Central at this point, so I'll say David Ross. See, I knew I needed to go back to manager of the year for something. I, I, I was going to bring it back. Uh, but uh, uh, the one that I have written down here is with uh, the Padres. Uh, not only because the Padres have surprised, there's many good reasons why to pick uh, Jace Tingler, uh, the rookie uh, manager from the, the Padres here. But, uh, Corey, you knew a little bit more about his background than, uh, than I did. I'll be honest in saying I've never heard of this guy. <laughs> Uh, before that, he's made me uh, hear about him now. Yeah, uh, but he's got a fascinating background that you don't normally see uh, in the way that he's gone into on the field pr- uh, managing. So I heard about this when it was the Fernando Tatis swinging at 3 0 and driving grand slams against Texas because Jace Tingler was with Texas before coming to San Diego and he was the assistant general manager and the director of scouting for them. And so it's not a typical way in that he's had no previous managerial experience. He focused on development of players and on a team like San Diego that is so young and needs development. Jake Cronenworth, Fernando Tatis, Trent Grisham, the future, Mackenzie Gore, right? Some of these guys where they're going to try to develop them and win for the next few years, it it was a perfect fit. And uh, just that person who understands that scouting background, uh, that development background, and on this team, uh, like you said, a perfect fit. And uh, nice to see a, a rookie jumping out to uh, a rookie manager jumping out to this type of start. Again, hopefully there's many more years. Uh, there's a lot more development still to come from this young Padres team. Mm-hmm. And so the perfect guy to uh, be at the helm. Uh, comeback player of the year. Uh, thought at some point it'd come back, but I don't think it's going to come with this team. Edwin Diaz, <laughs> uh, the best closer in baseball with the Seattle Mariners. Two Electric stuff uh, just two years ago. And with the Mets, he just hasn't been that at all. There's been the long ball problem. There's been walking problems. Uh, it's just been problems, period, with uh, the New York Mets. And there's one step forward this year. He'll have a very good game, and then two steps back. If his slider is on, then you know he's going to be good. If his slider is off, uh, he's uh, uh, going to have uh, whiplash problems. My comeback player of the year was Mike Clevenger. He only got those 126 innings last year. He was really good. It- it's possible. Still think he could. Uh, that's I a possible one. He, he could still win that. He's been among the best players that missed a lot of time last year, so that one's still possible. Let's cover the uh, American League and National League, our division predictions. I'm going to give my three, and then I'll have you give your three and just, just thoughts on it. Uh, so I have, uh, going into the season, I picked the, the Rays, Twins, and A's. Those are my big three. Uh, I'm more of an, an American League fan, so I feel pretty good about that still. I uh, was right on the Rays more than uh, I thought I would be even. They've impressed even me. Uh, the A's consistently good, and they have stayed that way. They were the, the, the most consistent team in the American League so far from beginning uh, uh, to end. Uh, so those are my three. Yeah, yours, yours are doing better than mine. The Yankees, the Minnesota Twins, and the Los Angeles Angels. So the Yankees were playing well. They're not going to win the AL East at this point, but I still say it. I still think they'll make the playoffs. The Twins are in that very challenging division. They've played well. They may not win the AL Central, but they're one of the best teams in baseball. No one can tell me otherwise. I still think that they can absolutely win the World Series. And then I got to talk about the Los Angeles Angels. So Anthony Rendon has played up to the contract. I thought he could. Mike Trout has been awesome, and Dylan Bundy has been a great pitcher for them. They have no other pitching at this point. Shohei Atani was a disappointment, as you mentioned, pitching big time. And so the Los Angeles Angels have just avoided the basement in that division because of Texas being worse than them. Otherwise, 
it I don't know. It's been a massive disappointment in Los Angeles. This is before we had the uh, playoff expansion, so we only have two wild cards to talk about. For me, that was the the Yankees and, and White Sox. Uh, you actually swayed me with the White Sox, believing the playoff hype, uh, that they were uh, an up-and-coming team, and that has been a correct one for sure. And Yankees, despite the sliding uh, taking place, should still make the playoffs. And I had the Rays-Indians mine too, and the Rays are going to win the AL East. And while I like the White Sox, and I absolutely like the White Sox, I thought that was the best division. And I thought Cleveland's pitching would get them there, and Cleveland's pitching has been exactly what we all thought it would be. And so Cleveland will make the playoffs too, whether it's winning the AL Central or it's one of the wild cards. May not have always had the individual stuff down, but the team we stuff was pretty good. We did pretty good on the team stuff, and other than the Angels. Yeah, we did pretty good on the team stuff. And uh, the National League, well... Not nearly as impressive. Uh, in baseball, they say one out of three ain't bad if you're a batter, but uh, not so much in predictions. I had uh, Washington for the uh, NL East, Cincinnati for the Central, and Dodgers for the West. Thank goodness the Dodgers are the old Mr. Reliable. Yeah, those are the same three teams that I had down, Washington, Cincinnati, and the Dodgers. Washington has been a injuries slash just overall disappointments, I guess. I'm not really sure what's been An aging roster always has a challenge when eventually age catches up. It's hard to believe that team is the defending World Series champion. Cincinnati. Seems so long ago at this point. Seems so long ago. Cincinnati, we we thought all the signings would come in, really help them, carry them to the victory. They had the top. I still think they have the best three pitchers on one team in that division by bar none. They're the most confusing team because the individual talent is there. Uh, Nicholas Castellanos has been what they've wanted him to be. He's a dark horse MVP guy. Uh, They're not going to win it, but he's been awesome. But offensively, everything else hasn't come together. You have uh, uh, Suarez. uh, Still cold. uh, Cold. Three homer game. Uh, There's there's signs that he could be starting to emerge of late, and they they need him. There's still time, and that NL Central, uh, it's wide open still. Uh, and all you got to do is, is get in. So maybe something can happen there, but I definitely don't see them winning uh, the, the Central anymore. Uh, wild cards, I had Padres and Cubs. I also had the Padres and the Cubs, so I think I swayed you on some of that one too, if I'm not mistaken. The Padres, I always said, it was gonna in this weird year, that team could get hot and do it. I think that they're still built, at least they were originally built to win in a couple of years, but now they've moved some of that pieces on, but they still have a lot of them. So the Padres are going to be competitive for a long time. They're always going to have to deal with the fact they play with the Dodgers, and the Cubs have, they're not going to be a wild card. They're going to win the National League Central at this point, and so good year for them. Absolutely. What about storylines? We have a, a bunch that we could talk about, but of the ones that you had coming into the season, which ones would you like to uh, dive into? Let's talk about the fact that the Astros have not been early on. They were getting hit by pitches, right? It, we saw it a lot. They were getting drilled. There was the big fight. Joe Kelly. And now it's kind of went away. As I have not, I don't know how to track the number of hit by pitches, but at least from when I've seen them play, it hasn't happened as much. I think it's partially because a lot of their batters have just not hit, so why give them a free base? And and I think it's it was an early season, still became an issue. We wondered how much it would be, uh, but I think teams have now moved on. Uh, now, uh, it might depend what happens down the stretch if it picks back up, uh, but I think we've seen baseball essentially in their own form of uh, judge, jury, and executioner uh, give their sense of justice to it, of their way of saying this was not right. This was a player speaking out against it in uh, in this fashion, and now I think we're moving on. Uh, I like it, right? Don't don't waste time giving them free at bats. Get them out on the plate if you can. And so another one I want to talk about is just 
the home field advantage, is it happening? We talked about how bad the Marlins have been. There's no there's no long road trips. There's no fans in the stands. How is it going to affect the players? These are creatures of habit, and this is a season that's unlike any other. And generally, I think it's went good, well. Yeah, I think this has the has been better than maybe expected when we were coming and wondering, and especially it couldn't have started out worse in terms of teams breaking protocol, uh, COVID things spiking. I and mean, we had it at one point, the question was, is the Will whole season going to get week? canceled? Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's the one time that stubborn Rob Manfred has been positive this year uh, <laughs> in helping to uh, lead through this. They have handled this overall very well. The COVID cases have dropped. It's not a bubble, but they have been able to quarantine this well, and, and teams have responded after the initial things. Uh, they have responded uh, very positively towards this, and uh, now we've talked about a playoff bubble being uh, uh, in the works uh, when that time comes, uh, and stadium stuff has worked out well. Toronto Blue Jays has worked out well despite their weird uh, start to the year. Uh, and I guess I'll, I'll bring up rules as part of this since we're talking home field advantage. This was the uh, the weird year of let's try everything, right? Throw it against the wall and see what sticks. You have uh, seven inning double headers. Uh, you have the expanded rosters. You have the National League designated hitter. Uh, extra runner on second to start the extra innings. I've actually liked that one. Have you? Uh, I, I and as a baseball purist, I didn't think I would. I liked the eighteen inning games just to see who can uh, win the marathon. But especially with all the injuries we've seen, I'm perfectly fine with the runner on second base, and uh, it adds a little bit of a uh, a different element that uh, has been fun to see. Because if a team scores a run on the top, you still feel you have a good shot to tie it yet in the, the bottom of that inning. So. Uh, I've actually liked it. The National League designated hitter has not been as impactful as I thought it would be. I think that one's here to stay. I really do. I don't think that one's going away. I think you're going to see the DH in the National League from here to stay just because there's so many pitching injuries happening already. Why didn't you give another chance to get him hurt batting or running the bases at this point? So I think that one's here to stay, but I agree. We thought some of these guys that have not necessarily had a lot of playing time, we mentioned, I think, Kyle Schwarber and Austin Riley. Will Myers, some of those type of players that maybe didn't have a spot before would come in and bat, but overall it's just kind of went seamlessly, but no big names off that. The What do you think about the, the seven-inning doubleheader? I, at first, initially when it was happening, thought there's no way that this stays. It's starting to grow, though. It, it yeah. grown me in, in a way, I, I think they, if you do doubleheaders with a slightly expanded roster or a taxi roster that you can add with it, it's I don't worked know this year. It's definitely worked this year. I don't you see think, more opposition to it. Uh, I don't think it's going to stay. I don't think it's gonna, just because they don't want to do that many doubleheaders, right? You don't want. The other day, I sent you a message. There was twenty games in a day, and I think it was the most I heard since like the early '80s. That's not what Major League Baseball wants. They don't want to have that many games in one day, and all these teams getting condensed together. The Cardinals are playing what is it like fifty games in forty days or something like that. So that's asking a lot on a player's body. Now, with the way that it's working, sure. You want to give seven-inning doubleheaders? It's worked fine. Overall, I think it'll go back to nine. I think you said it appropriately. I don't think the fans have as much of an issue with it. I think the players will say that they're more than happy to do as few of doubleheaders as they uh, absolutely have to. Uh, so I agree with you on that one. Uh, let's go over-unders. Okay. I had major league. I had trades at the deadline at two and a half, and major trades. And I would say that we beat that because Clevenger got moved, Minor got moved. I would consider Starling Marte, Jonathan Villar. So there was more 
big names traded at the deadline than we thought because there was actually more teams out of it than we thought. We thought that the Rangers would be competitive. We thought that the Marlins would not be competitive, but they've been more competitive than they have, should have been necessarily. Baltimore's been competitive. So while we didn't think that all the teams would be out of it, there's enough teams that have struggled that they needed to move on. Yeah, there definitely was more volume uh, than I maybe would have thought at the beginning of the year. We wondered how the additional playoff teams would mm-hmm. impact that. There was more volume there, and there still was uh, impactful players moved. So I think that was an over as well. We put the least uh, fewest wins uh, at 16 and a half, and we both said over on that one. Yeah, and I don't think there'll be a team that doesn't get to 20, I don't think. I, either Pittsburgh or Texas, maybe even Boston, one of them may not reach 20, but I do think they're all going to get to at least 17. It uh, definitely looks that way at this point. Uh, for the bigger numbers, uh, on a positive stretch, uh, batters batting over 350, we put it at two. And I think we both said under. There are two right. guys currently over 350. I checked it before we started. It is Donovan, Solano, and who was the other one? I got to check that. His name is escaping me at this point, too. It was uh, DJ LeMay. He was close. I don't remember if he's fully over it. And then there's one other batter that was uh, uh, above him that was leading leading the way. Uh, but not Trey Turner and Trey sorry, Turner. Tr- sorry, Trey Thank Turner you. and DJ LeMahieu are leading. The t- DJ LeMahieu does not have enough at bats. Mike Trevor, or sorry, Tim Anderson is up there also in that range. So it's possible for a while. People were talking about you know, can Charlie Blackman hit over 400? He has dropped off considerably. He's down to down to 347, which is very good. But you're not going to get a 400 batter this year. It was always going to ask a lot, even in a shortened year, to get that. But over 350, it's possible we have two, maybe three. That one's going to be close down the stretch, but it just goes to show you, even in the, this type of year, just how hard it is to hit 400. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and just a, appreciation for uh, for that record in, in Major League Baseball, that milestone. Uh, home runs, we set it at 20. So we got two at 15. We mentioned him multiple times on this podcast. Mike Trout and Fernando Tatis. Tiasca Hernandez was at 14. We've said he's going to miss some time. And then you got 13. You have Abreu, who I think can keep hitting him. Luke Voigt has been on a Yankees team that has been disappointing. He's been very strong. We have not mentioned Nelson Cruz, but he's in contention to win a side. He could win an MVP at age 40. Still an awesome player. He's got 13. And Mookie Betts, 13. And then at 12, you have Suarez, who can't hit for average, but is hitting home runs. Marcelo Zuna, who's been really hot lately. He had a three-home run day this week. Manny Machado and Ian Happ. So... Over 20, I could see – I still think Mike Trout or Fernando Tatis will get there and maybe one more, two more players. We still have a third of the season to to go, mm-hmm. uh, and that means those that are at 15 are right on pace for it. Uh, so uh, we'll see what uh, what happens there, but kind of uh, uh, more than was anticipated uh, at the beginning of this year. Any other over-unders that you like? Uh, we had Shohei Otani pitching starts at seven and a half. You took the over. Yeah, uh, in for a penny, <laughs> in for a pound. When you pick him as you, your Cy you, Young, you you're going to go for him. it. But uh, woo. I had Jacob Degrom wins at five and a half. I think he's at two. You think he still gets there? I, 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 I think don't. we both took the over. And at this point, I think I take the under, not because he certainly hasn't earned it, but they're still majorly disappointing on Step that. Step right up and meet the Mets. As I'm looking at these stats, would you believe that Miguel Sano has struck out 62 times already? That's uh, impressive. For someone who already strikes out a lot, that is impressive. He's, he's still doing good. 246 average, hits nine home runs, but, man, can that guy strike out with the best of them. 
the uh, three outcome uh, uh, performer. Three outcome player. Yep. Anything else for you? I think that covers it. I you know, we've, the, uh, we've been talking talking for a while the, here. The Astros HBP and uh, uh, overall that is, has come down to. Uh, but I'm, uh, you know, I, I, at first I thought I was going to be cringing more at the, the preseason predictions. And this ha- hasn't been too bad. I figured it out. I figured out a way to check the hit by pitches. So now I just got to find Houston. Houston is actually below e- league average. They are at 17 as a team. That's pretty impressive that teams have avoided hitting them. The most any team has it been hit. It was all front loaded. It early was all season. front loaded. Now it's the Cubs are pacing the way with 31. And if you've ever watched the Cubs play, Rizzo crowds the plate. Schwarber crowds the, the plate. Same, they have yep. some players that really crowd the plate. So they typically are very high in that stat. They are tied with the Mets. And I do not know who – I guess Pete Alonso crowds the plate a lot. Robinson Cano used to crowd the plate. So they probably have a few guys that crowd the plate too. Those guys are at 31, so they will not be – it would take a lot for a team to reach 50, and it's certainly not going to be the Astros. I'm assuming uh, the Yankees would claim it over $6 million at this point, but uh, that's, that's a whole different category. But uh, with that, uh, let's get to our, our final uh, part of our podcast, our matchup of the week. Uh, we have uh, for pitching matchup on Monday. So we have right away this week, you have Charlie Morton versus Max Scherzer, Rays and, and Nationals in interleague play. Uh, Morton's coming back, trying to get up to uh, full speed. He'll probably be at four innings uh, in this next start. He uh, struck out the side in the second, uh, two innings against the Yankees. And his, again, you don't have uh, rehab starts uh, with the, this season. So uh, you're doing that on the fly up at the, the major league level, but striking out the side in your second inning of work for the Yankees, not too shabby. And while the Washington Nationals have not played well, we just talked about they've both they disappointed us. It has not been Max Scherzer or Patrick Corbin. They, if you can watch Max Scherzer or Patrick Corbin play, they still look awesome out there. It'll be a great pitching matchup, I almost guaranteed. What about for uh, uh, team, team matchup, matchup. later yeah. in the week? You get to see two of those great AL Central teams against each other. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it's the Indians at the Twins. We've seen this one before. Those are the two of the three teams that are competing to win that division. It's the offense versus the pitching. I'm excited to see teams at full strength against each other. With guys coming back from injury another week to get the, the rhythm down, that's going to be a fun matchup this next week, and very much looking forward to that. Now, they have not announced the starting pitchers yet in that one, but if I'm tracking this right based off the fact Shane Bieber pitched today and beat the Brewers, he should pitch Friday, and I believe that should actually track with Jose Barrios, which would be a pretty good one. So get ready for uh, some uh, fun uh contending baseball and the AL Central this upcoming weekend. Uh, With that, uh, thanks for uh, uh, listening in here uh, as we uh, look forward to uh, another week of exciting baseball and looking forward to uh, checking uh, checking some uh, – it's going to be scoreboard watching and standings watching. We're now entering that time of of the year as we get ready to watch baseball overlap with opening weekend of uh, NFL and – NBA is in the big uh, postseason stretch here too. The Bucks did not get swept. They didn't get swept at least. Uh, they get silver linings. Silver linings. That's something to say for it. And so here, let's hear your prediction. Are the are the Dolphins going to win Week One? Who do they play? You had to go there, didn't you? Who do they play? Uh, they're playing the New England Patriots Ooh, with uh, Cam, Cam Newton as the starting uh, uh, quarterback uh, for Bill Belichick. Uh, and I want to say Miami wins it, uh, but uh, I just see Bill Belichick pulling out something. So never, I say Miami you, loses by three. Ooh, close game. You can never you can never underestimate what he can do, with what Bill Belichick can find a way to do. The Packers start off against the Vikings. That's always a tough <laughs> matchup. I think it's – I'm not sure. I have not paid attention. I think it's at Minnesota, which usually means that 
Minnesota's favored. And I is Green Bay being underlooked coming into this year? Well, they were thirteen and three last year, and they definitely played above over their head. They probably were more like an eleven and five team. I've seen a lot of places say that they're nine and seven. I do. I still think they can go. 10, 6, 11, and 5. I think they're a playoff team. So Nakui, uh, the big uh, trade to Minnesota, the Jacksonville Jaguars defensive end, uh, yeah. now going to be uh, going after quarterbacks and the They better the get purple. to the quarterback a lot because they have, like, no secondary at all in Minnesota. So uh, A big change from previous seasons. Yes, it uh, is. There. Yes, it so, is uh, high-scoring game is definitely one I, I expect there. Uh I don't expect much defense in the, in those matchups, and uh, but it will be fun to watch Rodgers throw some bombs to Devontae Adams, etc. So better uh, be Devontae Adams because they don't have a whole lot else at receiver. Uh, there is there is that too. Uh, enjoy all sports this upcoming weekend. We have NHL playoffs, you have NBA playoffs, NFL season kicks in, Major League Baseball is going to the stretch run, U.S. Uh, Open and tennis. This golf. is this is the uh, the fun time. Uh, in uh, the sports world compared to where we were just a couple of months ago. The one good part uh, about, not, not that there's not been one good part, but you know, COVID's still a disaster, but with them kicking everything back, now it's all at the same time. You get everything. So the next few months should be pretty fun, actually, assuming that it doesn't get worse and shut everything back down. <laughs> Until then, we will enjoy that and many uh, storylines to follow. We covered the ones that uh, have... Uh, we thought would be there, ones that have been to this point, and we'll look forward to the ones that come next. So again, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Thank you.